0: Welcome to the Expat Empire podcast, the podcast where you can hear from expats around the world and learn how you can join them. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on the Expat Empire podcast. Before we get to the interview, I want to remind you that we're offering a free consulting call to anyone interested in moving abroad. Whether you're thinking about retiring somewhere warm, starting an international career, or becoming a digital nomad, we're ready to help you think through the next steps in your journey. Send us a message at expatempire.com to schedule your call today. With that said, let's start the conversation. Hi, Georgia. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Expat Empire podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, it's it's awesome to be able to talk to you in this context. Uh, of course, we, we worked together here in Portugal for a bit, but you've already moved on to new places and, of course, had plenty of international experiences before then. So... Excited to hear all of it put together, even for myself, let alone for the audience today.
1: Yeah, thanks. No, I'm excited to to chat about all of it. It's one of my favorite topics.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So, if you could just start us off by telling us a bit about where you're originally from, where around the world you've lived so far, and where you're currently living, that'd be great.
1: Yeah. So I I am American, um, but I was actually born in England. Um, I grew up partially in Cuba and Germany, and then ended up spending my teenage years in the deep south of the US uh, I have also lived in Scotland and Thailand Portugal and now I have returned back to Germany and I'm living in Munich
0: okay awesome so a lot of stuff to unpack there and I think a good place to start would be how did you have such a sort of international? Uh, journey even growing up at a young age and especially being in places like Cuba. That's quite interesting.
1: Yeah. So I was very fortunate um, that my parents, they worked for the U S department of defense, uh, but they worked as civilians for the U S government. So my father was an art teacher for the military schools and my mom was an air force librarian. So it's really kind of the best of both worlds because active mil- active duty. Military personnel, they have to move every two years. Uh, they don't get a choice of where they want to go. But when you're a civilian, you can you can live in on that base for as long as you want. Um, and actually, you don't live on base. You have to live off base in the country with all the locals. So that way you get to have a really good international experience. But the U.S. government pays for you to move around.
0: Yeah, it sounds pretty great. Is that something that you ever considered in terms of your career trying to, I mean, you have emulated it to a degree as far as moving here and there, but in terms of trying to find a similar opportunity through government programs and things like that, is that something you'd ever considered?
1: I really, I didn't until I was probably in graduate school and in my kind of mid to late 20s. Um, So before that, I I think because I was raised by such a good teacher, I saw what it took to be a teacher and I didn't think I had those skills. Um, So I was like, no, I'm not going to be a teacher. Screw that. And it's very hard to travel around with the military Mm -hmm. if you're not a teacher. Like that's a very good gig to get in with. Um, And by the time I kind of decided, like found – a love for teaching, it's very competitive to get in with the U.S. Department of Defense Mm. because so many people want it as a travel opportunity. So I had to kind of find my own way to travel around and work just to get quite the easy path that my parents had.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, Were there any of those particular countries that stood out to you when you were growing up in terms of the experience, any ones that you particularly identified with? And of course, I don't know what ages you were in each of these. So maybe some of those of you were still quite young, but any that uh, you particularly found yourself attracted to or attached to before you moved up to the United States?
1: Um, so I was I was much too young in England, but my first memories do come in Cuba. And there we were actually living on Guantanamo Bay Naval Base, because uh, even though we were civilians, we couldn't live on mainland Cuba. Um, And that, I would say, I still bring some of that identity with me in that, um, I have a very false sense of security because Mm. Guantanamo is one of the most secure places in the world. And so as a child, you're just, you just run free. No Mm. one, like nothing's going to happen to a kid other than you're going to trip, fall and skin your knee on some rocks. Um, and also, I really love islands, beachy communities, and Guantanamo is actually—it's just an island, beautiful beaches, um, great wildlife. So I still kind of uh, recall those memories and feel like I still carry the little beachy girl with me, who probably thinks there's still like machine gunners around who are just going to like step in at any moment to help me, even though that's not true.
0: So what was it like going from that experience, going all over the world to these very different places as you were growing up to then going into the, the South and the United States? And, um, you know, even though you're American, I'm sure it was even an adjustment for you probably at quite a young age. So I'd, be cur- I'd love to hear more about that.
1: Yeah, it definitely was not easy. I grew up maybe being a little bit less patriotic than a military brat should be. But, um, I think also having spent most of my childhood abroad and then actually moving to the deep South, which is an area of the U S where, I mean, people have been there for generations, you know, their, their teachers taught their grandma and things like that. And not only Mm -hmm. did I not grow up in, I wasn't born in the South, neither were my parents. Um, so I, I did really feel like an outsider and I really at a young age clung clung to my expat identity, like, oh, they're never going to understand me because I, I lived in Germany, I lived in Cuba, like mm-hmm. I'm never going to grow up or stay in America. Um, and it really wasn't until I was in college I kind of started to grow up a little bit and change my mindset on that and mature as we all do. <laughs>
2: uh,
1: but definitely in my adolescent and teenage years, it made me feel like a complete outsider mm-hmm. from everybody I was going to school with.
0: Did that make you want to pursue any study abroad opportunities or a gap year or, you know, how did you ultimately keep and then manage to jump on the opportunities to be able to move abroad that you've done since, uh, since your university days?
1: Yeah, definitely uh, study abroad programs uh, in university were something that I really considered while I was looking for colleges. And the college I went to, Kalamazoo College in Michigan, is known as one of the top colleges in the U.S. for study abroad Mm. because they have such an extensive study abroad program. It's something like 96 Different study abroad opportunities some something like that, maybe because that was like twenty years ago uh, maybe maybe i'm I'm forgetting the exact number, but um it's a college that's also known for giving students an immersive study abroad experience, like you're most likely going to go live with a host family um and so that that was super important to me because I still, I really did have that desire to still live abroad. Um, and I kind of always knew that I would eventually move abroad again. It was just waiting for the right opportunity uh, for me to have the right finances as well. Because as you know, it's not cheap to just pick up and move abroad. So I had to have like good savings. But uh, that's when I lived in Scotland when I did study abroad in university. How
0: did you pick Scotland? Was it just a match with the program and what you were studying? And was the language a consideration as well? What what led you to pick that among ninety six study abroad programs?
1: Yeah, it was a lot to do with uh, my studies because I was an English and theater major, and Scotland was sort of was known for the English and theater majors to go there and kind of get our science credits out of the way because they were a little bit easier over there. Um, And also because it was an English speaking university, uh, they accepted the scholarship I was on. Whereas if I had gone, I think there were like, I think if I went to Japan, those schools didn't take my scholarship and I would have had to just pay out of pocket. Um, And I, I, because I had been born in England, that was as close as I could get to, like, my birth country. And so I wanted to experience it as a uh, sort of adult, 20-year-old adult.
0: Having been born over there, did you get any benefits from a citizenship point of view, or was that really more just on the American side?
1: So England uh, changed. When I was born in 1988, uh, England had just changed their policy. It used to be if you were born in England to parents who, like, owned a British house, were paying British taxes like mine were. Um, I should have been granted automatic dual citizenship, but the month before I was born, England stopped doing mm. that.
0: <laughs> Bad timing.
1: Uh, yeah, And but so I have a little bit of odd citizenship only when I'm in the UK in mm. that I have a national health number. Mm. Um, I have a lot of stuff that technically would make me a British citizen without actually having the citizenship um and it only is a problem when i was very sick in scotland and was trying to get like uh medical help on the nas- national health insurance and that didn't go so well um, and i've been told don't commit a crime in the uk because that would probably also screw with things
0: not go so well
1: yeah yeah <laughs> no, <never. laughs> so every other country i'm fine but just the okay UK. good
0: to know so as far as, you know, going from there, of course, you have this great study, uh, study abroad experience in Scotland. You finished up your degree. So how how did you end up making your way to Thailand? So kind of walk us through, I guess, the big picture and the steps that it took to make that happen.
1: Uh, so I always wanted to move to Asia just because I had never been there before. Um, my My sister had been there, but no one else in my family had ever gone. And so it was just sort of a place I didn't know many people and it just felt very different. And I I do like pushing myself out of my comfort zone. And that felt like the ultimate push myself out. Um, So it was something I had always thought of since I was at Kalamazoo college really. Uh, And then I I went and I got some work experience in Chicago. I went to graduate school. Um, But the actual catalyst that made me go, go there was a breakup you know as most people <laughs> do yeah and so then I was just like screw all of this I I had graduated with my graduate degree at that point and so just packed up and decided that was as good of time as any because I had nothing else tying me down in the U.S. I had no job at the time so it felt like a good time to take that leap um, and I really wanted Thailand Because, especially Bangkok specifically, because it felt like a city that was sort of the best of both worlds, where I would feel like I really was in Asia, but it wouldn't feel like hyper-Westernized, so that I would just feel like I was in like a New York City or something. I kind of felt like maybe moving to Seoul, South Korea, wouldn't have felt too different uh, from other cities I had been to, uh, but Bangkok seemed to have a good, a good blend and it had a good transportation system, which for a single woman moving by myself was important to me so that I can always get home at night whenever I want to.
0: So you have those sort of expectations as to what the life would be like there, how, you know, it would be sort of different enough from home and give you that, uh, you know, push outside of your comfort zone. So did you find that to actually be the case? What was your experience like from your expectations to what it was actually like there on the ground in those first months?
1: It did really match my expectations because I did have those moments where I did feel very lost, confused. Um, and it was I wasn't like necessarily searching to feel lost and confused. Uh but I, I at least I felt like I was in in a foreign country rather than just another big city that I could easily navigate. Um, when I first moved to Bangkok, I also moved to a neighborhood that really wasn't known for any other foreigners.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, cause I remember I was there for like three weeks. And then I met one, I saw a German guy in the elevator and it was one of those like, Oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're the first like foreigner I've seen. Um, And it was, but it was really great. And at the time, I know I was maybe a little bit nervous, but it was also, it had been such a goal of mine that I still just felt like it was worth it and should just keep going through and figuring things out.
0: How did you find that first apartment then, and especially in a place where you didn't see many other uh, foreigners and other expats? So was that um, I, by design, you know, through intention to try to get that more local experience, or did it take you by surprise as well after you moved in?
1: Yeah, it took me by surprise. It was just Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had good ratings, and that was the only reason I chose that place. I did not do a ton of research, um, and Bangkok doesn't actually have one singular downtown. So I couldn't really figure out where in the city I should be near.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And as far as your work there, uh, I assume you went with work. So what what did you do? And uh, you know, what was the visa situation? What was that process like? Was that difficult at all? Just walk us through kind of how you actually uh, managed to be able to live there and work there.
1: So I actually did what you're not supposed to do. And I landed without a job. Um, And I just searched when I got there Uh, because I did have a graduate degree um, and I had teaching experience. I knew that, I mean, that's at least good to have on your resume. Um, So I first started by applying to different language schools just to make money. And I got hired fairly quickly. By just a little adult night school um, who offered to give people a student visa under the... Not, not terribly legal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but under the guise that I was at the school taking Thai classes. Mm. And so it was going to be a legal visa even though I wasn't actually taking Thai classes. Uh, I do... I think that company has actually now changed their policy Mm -hmm. and now you do actually have to attend classes Um, just as a teacher. You don't have to pay for them. Uh, But I had that for about four months before. And there I had then met some other people and I learned about how to search for more permanent teaching jobs Mm -hmm. um, through different websites. And uh, yeah. And so I ended up applying to, a private all boys school and that's where I ended up getting hired and then I got a more permanent visa but I did to work at the language school I actually had to leave the country mm-hmm. apply for my Thai visa in Laos and then come back because you can't apply within the country and while I was living there Thailand actually changed the policy. And now you cannot do what I did. You can't mm. just arrive in Thailand and get a visa there. You have to actually get it in your home country. They've made it a little bit more difficult.
2: Yeah,
0: as, as they tend to, these things are always changing. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there was a couple of things that came up there that were uh, some interesting threads that I'd like to pull in a bit. So there was this notion of studying Thai. And of course, that was more, you know, from the standpoint of being able to qualify for the student visa and and maybe you didn't actually end up taking those courses. But did you manage to pick up any of the language and how important was it for you to be able to speak it to be sort of successful in terms of your, I mean, your career, but also your life there personally?
1: Yeah, I ended up learning polite Thai. So I can, I can count, I can say, hi, thank you. Um, There is a really popular phrase in Thailand, which is my pen like. Um, which just means don't worry about it. And so I, I obviously I learned that. Um, and even though it was not necessary, you could very easily get around anywhere in Thailand, even remote part of the jungle uh, without a single word of Thai. But it does just make your life easier. If you at least can say hi, thank you. And counting uh, is very helpful there. Um, Yeah, so I mean, it's definitely something I would recommend to anybody going to Thailand and really any country, just learn those little phrases. And I learned how to give directions as well, which Thailand can have some sort of corrupt taxi drivers who they wanna take you on a long way. So then you can start telling them like, no, no, like this way, please turn left, turn right.
0: Right, right. So definitely, um, at least at a minimum survival level, and hopefully staying out of (laughs) too many scams and too much trouble. (laughs) 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 Makes sense. So another thing that you mentioned was learning a bit more about the different ways to find the jobs. uh, Ultimately, it sounds like your second job there. So do you have any particular pointers for people that might be thinking about trying to find English teaching roles in Thailand?
1: Yeah. So I think there's a lot of really good online resources for that. Um, for people who just want to move and just straight up teach English. Uh, there's Dave's ESL cafe, um, which has a lot of good job recommendations and it's known in Asia. Uh, I don't know if you being in Japan, if you guys would have heard of that, but he has a pretty extensive job board. Um, sure. And I found just, meeting other expats and then telling them what I was interested in, then I was able to get a bit more personalized recommendations. So in Thailand specifically, there is ajarn.com. Uh, and ajarn, which I'm, I'm butchering the word, uh, but it's the Thai word for teacher. Mm. And, and so it's just teaching jobs in Thailand. But it's all types, like science teachers, math teachers. And so I actually, I taught literature. um, And that's how I found that rather than just an ESL job, which personally I like more because teaching literature is a little bit more in line with what I like and what I was trained in rather than just teaching English. I don't think I was the best ESL teacher in the world. but I think I'm a decent literature one.
0: Got it, and I'm curious what it was like to then work, let's say, in in a all boys uh, school environment, teaching literature. I mean, I can I can only imagine that you might stick out a bit in such an environment. So, what was it like to to be that teacher at that school?
1: Uh, it was chaotic. Um, I was one of only two female teachers. Um, and i was i was the youngest by about 30 to 40 years uh so i i did stand out a lot and my specific age were the 11 to 13 year olds um and i taught very rich little boys um who have you know never dusted something in their life so like god forbid you tell them to pick up a pencil uh i love them i love them to death but it was yeah it was An interesting experience, especially at that age. No kid wants to listen to their teacher, and they had the benefit of being able to speak in Thai with each other. And so, I couldn't really stop them. I couldn't know what they were saying. Uh, So, actually, I learned a few other tiny Thai phrases, like how to say "give me that." So that then, if they would ask it to each other, like "be my apple," like "give me a give me an apple." they'd ask that, but um, I would then hand them the object and kind of make them think like, oh my God, teacher, teacher Georgia knows more than she says. And I'm like, that's right.
0: That's right. Just imagine how much I actually know that I'm, as I listen to you, I can understand everything.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. I learned a few Thai curse words because mm. of them because other Thai teachers would hear them in my class and later come in and mm. be like, if you hear them saying this,
0: Stop it. So, do you have any other advice for folks that are thinking about pursuing opportunities or trying to live in Thailand one day?
1: Yeah. So, uh, Thailand is known for people, for uh, expats who just land in the country and they don't want to get a visa because the country is very cheap to be there. So, you can easily still have your job in the US, work remotely in Thailand without getting a Thai visa. Um, And then every 30 days, you can do a border run. So you cross into Laos, you cross into Malaysia, and you come right back. Um, And a lot of people think that it's just very fun, very easy. But Thailand is really cracking down on those cases. Uh, I know of at least three people personally who got deported. uh, And that means like they actually like you get put in a Thai jail, you get... You're never allowed back to your apartment. You just get escorted straight from the jail to the plane. The officers actually put you on the plane in the seat. Uh, You get a huge black mark on your passport and you're banned like seven years, which is kind of an odd timeline for me. But, But Thailand's really cracking down on that. So I would definitely recommend anybody who goes there with the intention to live To somehow find a legal visa, like sign up for a Thai school, get, you know, become a Thai student, at least, uh, try to get even part-time jobs can Mm -hmm. give you visas. You can get an entrepreneur visa because it is very risky and Thailand, they're just super aware of that right now. And, and they actually, they, they start raiding places they know expats are in, Mm -hmm. um, Like there were a few nights I was told not to go to a certain popular club, not to go to like a night market because, I mean, I had a visa. So for me, it wasn't a deal, but that there was going to be a police raid and they're definitely looking for, they're looking for a lot of Americans Mm -hmm. and stuff. Like they just, I think they're a little tired of people abusing the system, which is fair, like. You should be there legally.
2: Right,
0: right. No, it's a great point. And I think a lot of the message that is you know spread online is how easy it is just to jump out of the country, come back in, you don't have to worry about things. But I, I would strongly agree that it's just better to try to cover your bases there. And I mean, for the digital nomads out there that are trying to do this, I mean, best of luck, but also there's plenty of other countries to visit. So if you do decide yeah. that you want to settle down, uh, hopefully you can find a good long stay, long-term visa but otherwise uh, maybe keep, keep the travels going, but, you know, just be respectful of the fact that they do have their policies and systems there for a reason. And, uh, and you are a guest ultimately, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I actually, uh, I overstayed my visa by one day. Um, And I actually, I didn't know it. I, I just didn't know. And it was on my way to move from Thailand to Portugal. uh, And I realized it, in the airport Mm. and uh, they did take me to the little back room where they questioned me. I had a fine. I have a red stamp in my visa. So I didn't get banned or blackmailed because I started crying. Um, And I think they realized it was a legit mistake. And I was also like, I'm moving. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Screw you guys. Yeah. yeah.
1: (laughs) But yeah, so they, they are not kidding around and they, I'm just very lucky that, no one can read the red stamp in my passport, thank God, so.
0: Luckily not in English as well, that's good. So that actually brings us then to your move to Portugal. So what made you decide ultimately to leave Thailand and to make the move to Portugal?
1: Um, so I was, I've was i always had the idea of wanting to move back to Europe because I, like I said, I did, I lived in the UK and then I lived in Germany um, after Cuba. And so like my memories in Germany are even more fresh. But so I always had the idea that I would one day move back to Europe because I had lived here before. Um, And at the time when I was in Thailand, I actually wasn't planning to leave for at least another year, but I was just searching online for jobs. uh, And my, even though I was teaching literature in Thailand, and I liked that uh, I am a writer Hmm. by trade, it's what my degree is in, it's what my passion is. And so I saw the opening for a content writer position and just just applied and got it. I mean, at the time it was one of those applications that you just kind of send out for the heck of it, but you don't think anything's really going to come. Um, and I had never been to Portugal before. Uh, but again, like, I mean, that was, it was such a great opportunity. Uh, and I figured moving to Europe any other way, I would have had to have started, I don't know, ready about toilets somewhere in some tiny town. And so this was a much better fit. So I just decided to pack up and go and not miss the opportunity.
0: Yeah, I think it's a good way to do it. And of course, being open minded and flexible when opportunities come your way. But that said, it sounds like you had maybe a thought toward staying longer in Thailand. So did you have any you know, feelings of maybe this is a little bit, uh, you know, sooner than I wanted? Or how did you get the closure that you might have been looking for as far as Thailand was concerned before making the move then, you know, halfway across the world?
1: That is a very good question. And I don't think I did get mm. that closure because, uh, I mean, I spent a solid eight months in Portugal just being like, I'm going to move back to Thailand. Mm. This was not great. I wasn't done with Thailand. I wasn't done with Asia. But it was, it was, I at that point, I was letting my career aspirations make the choice for me. Um, and getting a job as a full-time writer is not easy. Hmm. And so it just, again, it felt like too good of an opportunity to pass up. Uh, and I'm mostly happy that I did. Uh, Cause I, I did actually, I made great friends in Portugal. Um, the, the community in Portugal, both the local and the expat, Are fantastic which i cannot say such positive things about the expat community Mm. of bangkok it's not bank thailand does not have the healthiest expat community Mm. in the world um like i said you have the backpackers who really are not being good guests Mm. of the country and they're really abusing the system and that just kind of doesn't make you feel good when you're a fellow foreigner and you're just like, Ugh.
2: right. Right.
1: um, Yeah. So I just, I, I let the career make the decision for me and I'm, I'm happy that I did.
0: What was it in those first eight months that made you think uh, you know, I'm maybe I should go back and what was, what were the, those things that made you feel that way? And was there anything in particular or a certain event or was it just, time passing that made that feeling pass as well?
1: Well, it is very easy to be in Thailand. Um, Like things, especially Bangkok. I mean, such a city of what, 8 million people, I think. So things are open 24 Mm seven. Like at any time of the day, you can get anything you need. Uh, You can so easily like wave down a motorcycle taxi, zip where you need to be. Um, the food, the food is amazing and it's everywhere on the street. You actually, it's very rare to cook in Thailand. Most people don't have a kitchen, hmm. um, because the street food is just so cheap and it's available again, all hours of the night. And so moving to Portugal, ju- I mean, it sounds so spoiled of me, but it just, it wasn't convenient anymore. Like shops, close. um, Taxis are more expensive. It's not just like, you know, 20 cents to take a motorcycle a few Mm -hmm. miles, public transportation stops. um, And actually compared to Thailand, I know Portugal is a cheaper place in Europe, but it's not compared to Thailand. Mm -hmm. So it suddenly, it felt very expensive. Uh, My apartment in Portugal was the most expensive apartment I've had in my life. And I lived in I lived in Chicago for four years, hmm. um, but my tiny apartment in Portugal was almost twice the amount what I paid in Chicago. So things like that, and I don't. It was just uh, there's still Thailand still felt a bit more exotic. Mm-hmm. Like I hate to use that word, but because you've got the jungles, the beaches, uh, you can easily hop on a plane and be in Cambodia. Where's, you know, Portugal, you have beaches and mountains too, beautiful, but you know, there's no elephants in those mountains. There's no like a monkey trying to steal your cell phone.
0: Yeah. Thailand does definitely feel more off the beaten path, let's say. So you've moved to another country now, Portugal, and you're also being able to work and and of course, write now in English for your job. So did you find it easy to adjust language wise as well? Was English fine? Or did you find it sort of helpful or necessary for you to learn Portuguese while living in Portugal?
1: I found English was okay, but I found learning Portuguese to actually be more necessary than when I had lived in Thailand. Like in Portugal, uh, my, at the time, like my banking app wasn't in English. Uh, My phone app to like pay my cell phone bill was not in English. Um, For my first two months there, a coworker of mine actually would pay my cell phone bill for me. And then I would transfer her the money mm. or actually I would, I would hand her cash. Um, Cause I just, I couldn't figure it out. Um, all of the legal documents were all in Portuguese. Whereas in Thailand, I think because it's a language that you can't even like Google with,
2: mm.
1: we call them Roman letters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they don't expect you to be able to speak Thai, to do anything in Thai. Whereas I think Portugal is a little bit more on the mindset of you can spell, you can Google. Uh, so I found, I found it harder to be there in Portugal and not know the language. Uh, and I really had to rely on my coworkers at the time and a few expats that I met that they, spoke either decent Portuguese or, uh, what they call it, Mm portuñol. It's like Portuguese and Spanish. Right, But by myself, it was definitely more difficult.
0: So you also moved to Porto. So how did you like the city overall? And given that you probably traveled to other cities around Portugal as well, how would you kind of compare and contrast it to those other cities?
1: I I really liked it. Um, I do think Porto though, is somewhere you have to live for a little while to really like, and I'm, I'm saying this as somebody who I love major cities, like again, Chicago, Bangkok, London, like these, these places speak to my soul. Um, whereas Porto is, is to me very small town. Mm. Um, when I first moved to Portugal, I was really hoping to move to Lisbon eventually, but I'm very glad now that I stayed in Porto because I think the whole city has a really good vibe to it. Like it seems it is small, but it's a bit more alive than I think people would expect, but I think you have to live there for at least eight months. For some reason, eight months is stuck in my mind as to when I kind Mm -hmm. of made the transition to, oh, I want to stay.
0: Right. And and how did you build your relationships or friendships in the city given that as you said there's a great community of locals and expats maybe better than what you were seeing or experiencing in Bangkok? So how did you connect with them and build those relationships?
1: It helped that my the company I was working with was based on expats and for uh based on expats um and so I worked with a lot of other foreigners and then even the Portuguese who who I worked with, they kind of knew their company was hiring non-Portuguese speakers. Mm. um, So they were much more open to that. And they were kind of open to like showing the the tourist around. Um, And then I also, I started my own writing group through Mm. meetup.com. And that helped me just meet a variety of people. But we all shared just the common interests of we like to write somehow. So I was able to beat other expats, um, local Portuguese, just travelers. And that was where, where I really found my community in
2: Portugal.
0: Yeah, I've, I've also had yeah similar success with the meetups here and different events. And it's been great to connect with a lot of expats and tourists. Like you said, there's a lot of digital nomads coming through, people wanting to check out Portugal. Um, so it's, it's a pretty cool community to, to be able to be a part of. And uh, what I was wondering is, so you had those first eight months where you were kind of questioning the decision, then it changed into really wanting to stay here and to stay in Porto. So then I have to ask, why did you leave?
1: Yet again, a job opportunity uh, because my company no longer exists. And so it was hard to find another writing job that didn't require me to be fluent in Portuguese and English, Um, maybe in Lisbon. I could have found a job like that because Lisbon is a bigger city, a bit more international. Um, but by that point, I mean, I'd been living in Portugal for two and a half years. I was very attached to Porto specifically. And I knew I wouldn't want to live. I wouldn't want to live in Portugal if I wasn't in Porto. Mm. Um, and I do like, I do speak German, uh, not fluently, but it's, it's much more natural and easy for me than Portuguese because I learned it as a child. Um, And so I knew that I'd have better career opportunities in Germany. There's a bit more of an international market. And so companies that would hire a just fully native English speaker. And Yeah. yeah. So yet again, it was just the job and I did, I, wanted to return to Germany Hmm. eventually, because I liked living here as a child. um, And I figured if I was ever going to become bilingual, my only chance was with German. And Hmm. so it would be helpful to live here to actually speak the language.
0: So you've had those great memories and experiences living in Germany when you were a child. Now you've gone back in recent months. What has that experience been like? I would say like, does it match what you remember as a child? Obviously, Every country, let alone Germany, has changed a lot since, you know, uh, in the last couple of decades. And, you know, it depends on which city you're in and, and all of those different factors. But uh, was it sort of like you remembered or did you have a lot of surprises and unexpected uh, experiences along the way?
1: Oh, well, I haven't I haven't been here too long. It's only been about six months, but already. Um, I would say it's been a bit more surprising than I was expecting uh especially because I mean because now I'm an adult uh so obviously like I had to find my own apartment I have to you know do all of the legality of le- living here by myself which I knew but I I really took for granted as mm-hmm. a child because obviously my either my father or the U.S. government did all of that for me and now um it's me who has to try to string together the German in a legal document. Uh, I have to make sure I have all of my ducks in a row. Um, and I did know before coming here that Germany can be a bit harder to make friends uh, as a non-German and someone as someone who's not fluent in German yet. But I didn't I guess I, I thought I'd be the exception mm-hmm. to the rule. Mm-hmm. I thought having lived here somehow, like my German would just come back to me in a second and I would just, you know, blend right in as a fellow German. Um, And that has not happened. (laughs) And that is definitely taking me a little bit of time to get used to and to kind of suck up uh, because it it is a foreign country. So it's customs, languages I have to get used to. But at the same time, it's not foreign to me. Like, it's still familiar. Right. Uh, I tell people, I compare it to a a children's song that I knew. And so now when I hear it, I know the tunes and I kind of know the beat, but I've forgotten the words.
2: Mm,
0: Right. Yeah. And that's
1: how Germany feels.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I can only imagine that some of those challenges and difficulties that you're experiencing now are just sort of increased and exaggerated because of this pandemic situation. So what was it like to make a move in the midst of all of this?
1: It was very stressful. When when my boyfriend and I first came here, um, actually Germany was closed to Portugal. Um, I think it's when the Delta variant was first starting to come up or one of the variants. Um, And so Germany closed down hard to Portugal. So we actually had to go to Spain for about 10 days and then get into Germany. Um, even though at that point, we had, we had a housing contract in Germany. We both had work contracts, but it just did not matter because we were coming from Portugal. Um, and so then trying to find an apartment at that time was also a bit chaotic because people wanted to know that you were legally allowed to live here. Um, I didn't have a visa. Yet, I hadn't even had a chance to apply for the visa. So, we had to kind of do everything with my boyfriend's name because he is a European citizen. Uh, yeah, and just nothing was open. So, we came here and it didn't really feel like we were living here because we couldn't go to restaurants. Mm. We couldn't go to museums. I and mean, we just absolutely nothing. So, it just sort of felt like we were on a really long kind of boring business trip. <laughs> uh,
0: has it felt better in the, the ensuing months? I guess things I assume have opened up there as they have here in Portugal. So hopefully it's looking a bit better and more friendly and, and open and you're be able, able to experience more today. But when did that sort of take place and how has your life changed since that first move?
1: Honestly, only in the past month. Um, had we had this talk in August, I probably would have been a bit more negative Um cause things are opening, but actually meetup groups still, we're not mm. meeting in person. And my, my job itself is still remote. Mm. Um, even though my office is in Munich, people, no one's going in the company really encourages people to stay away. Mm. Um, cause it's a very large company. And so they don't want, you know, to, to have, uh, some sort of massive outbreak. Um, so I still had no way to meet people. Like I could go to restaurants, bars, but just, you know, there's no like social group I could join. Um, but that, that just changed this month and now meet up. Uh, some groups are having in-person meets. And so I've gone to a few. Uh, I finally, I met a few coworkers just kind of randomly
2: hmm.
1: actually. And, that's really helped. And now I've just had to kind of move out of my comfort zone even more and just message people on expat groups Mm -hmm. on Facebook and be like, you want to hang out? It feels like dating. Yeah. Um, Even though I'm not dating.
0: Have you found much luck with that so far or still in the early stages of, of building those relationships? Because I've had the same problem here as you know, in Portugal, um, you know, I've been here longer, but most of the time that I've been here has been during the situation and with, uh, you know, everything going on, it's been difficult. So have you managed to have some success with that strategy so far?
1: I have, I've actually, I've met two very cool girls that way. Um, and that really helped. Uh, it did help that I was specifically, uh, posting things in women only Hmm. groups. Um, So still trying to like, I don't know. I found like a generic expat group didn't really work for me. And so I needed one that was like specifically targeted at women who had moved abroad. Um, But again, it's just, I can't compare it to dating enough because it was like of 50 messages Mm -hmm. and 50 different women I was texting, only two worked out and Mm -hmm. were you know, and now we've hung out several times and they're really great, but I, I cast a very large net mm. and I caught two fish, but I like those. Fish. Yeah.
0: As long as you got two good fish, then that's good. Yeah. <laughs> do you find that uh, it's been easy for you as far as using the German that you had learned at a young age and to be able to build on that? Or do you find that you're kind of in this situation where you, you need to learn a significant amount more to be able to, you know, do the contractual work or, you know, legal things. I, I don't know exactly what your proficiency is like, but I can imagine that, you know, there are still some things that would potentially be challenging in your situation. So how, how have you dealt with that? And uh, how do you think about continuing to build on your German language skills?
1: My German is definitely its own chaos mm. right now, because um, I was really trying to learn Portuguese in Portugal cause I needed it so much. Um, and I now feel like for every Portuguese word that I learned, I lost a German one.
2: Hmm.
1: So now I, I find my mind has started to, to try to revert to Portuguese. And then it'll try to fill in weird gaps with German. So I, I speech, I speak what I have been calling, uh, Deutsche Gesch. <laughs> um, which really confuses people because especially if I have a mask on, mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I look German. My last name is German. Um, so people get very confused why I just start randomly speaking Portuguese at them. But it's again, like the the metaphor I used before that living in Germany is like a childhood song that I now, I remember the tune and the beat, but I don't remember the words. And that's the same with German. Mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of my colleagues are German, and so when I enter into a, a team, a Microsoft Teams meeting with them, I can understand when they're all speaking to each other in German, but I don't have the vocabulary mm. anymore to respond to them. Mm. But actually, I just started German classes this week, um,
2: nice.
1: and that was great, and it, it comes back a bit more, because not only did I uh, learn German as a child, I studied it in university. I took it as night classes in Chicago. So been trying it a lot.
0: So you went from those large cities uh, that we talked about, Chicago, London, and Bangkok, and then you went to what you found to be quite a small city here in Porto. And now you've gone to Munich. So how would you compare that in those options or maybe in the spectrum of big and small cities?
1: At the moment, I would say Porto feels bigger than Munich. <laughs> um Munich feels more like a place for families and people who want a quiet lifestyle and very nice, clean city streets, um, which is great. But yeah, it's, it's not, it's still not quite the, the big city life that I was hoping for. Um, Berlin is still a little bit more of a fit for me, Hmm. but I mean, we moved here. I think I I think you have to give any place at least a solid year mm-hmm. because, I mean, it can take a half a year if not more to really start to feel comfortable somewhere. So I think it would be unfair to Munich to just pick up and leave now. Um, but yeah, at, I I like Munich, but I would say people should move here if they're looking for a more quiet lifestyle.
0: So with that in mind, do you plan to stay in Germany? And, you know, maybe, maybe it's Munich, maybe it's Berlin another city, but do you think Germany is your home for the foreseeable future or you still have a bit of wanderlust and, you know, always kind of thinking about the next spot?
1: I would like to stay in Germany for the foreseeable future. Um, that was kind of as a, child I kind of always had that in my mind that one day I would move back to Germany and then I would just stay there um but even though we've only been here for six months I'm kind of I don't letting myself off the hook
2: Mm.
1: that it might not be the fit I thought I would be or I thought it would be Mm -hmm. um because yeah it is it is hard to be in Germany um it is it's a bit more rigid. Uh, the visa process is certainly just driving me up the wall in ways that none of the others quite did. Um, yeah, so, but I think if Munich doesn't work, then I would want to go and try Berlin for a year. And then if Berlin doesn't work, then screw it, move somewhere else. But would at least like to give it two years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That sounds reasonable. Do you have any other countries that are on your bucket list as far as places that you'd like to try living in the future, if you could?
1: Oh, it's a pretty big list. Um, honestly, I would really like to move to Japan. Um, I was only in Japan for about two weeks and I just loved it, but I think I, I do know, I think it's another country similar to Germany and that there's like a lot of red tape you have to cross. Uh, I believe you do actually need to know Japanese in order to live there and work there. So I'm aware that that goal might not work. Um, but I would really like to move to the UK again. Uh, Iceland is also mm. a little bit on my bucket list. Nice. Uh, Cause my parents lived in Iceland mm. for about four years, I think. And so I think it would be a unique place to live, but yeah, my, the list of places I would want to live is very, or that I would consider living is very broad. <laughs> uh, I more have to look at the list of places I wouldn't live. And right. then that kind of, <laughs> down.
0: that's a good way to look at it. And I think a, a great outlook and uh, definitely inspiration for our listeners as well. So wrapping up our conversation, it'd be great to know where our listeners can find out more about you and what you're up to, whether that's on social media or websites or any meetups you have going on right now.
1: Yeah, so right now I I don't organize any meetups anymore unfortunately. Um I gave a, I gave my nice little Porto group away. Uh but they can find me. I have a website georgianap.org cuz georgianap.com was taken. <laughs> um and so that's that's my blog that has links to my social media sites, my portfolio. Uh, I still do a lot of my own personal writing so they can kind of read about different travels
0: there. Awesome. Well, thanks so much again, Georgia, for your time and for sharing your inspiring stories. Look forward to keeping in touch and see where you land in the future, especially if it's Iceland. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute and give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps new listeners find us and lets us know that we are putting out content that you appreciate. You can quickly find out where and how to rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash expatempire. If you know anyone who would appreciate this podcast, please tell them about it so we can continue growing the global Expat Empire community. Keep up to date on new Expat Empire podcast episodes by pressing the subscribe button in the podcasting app of your choice. You can also visit expatempire.com and sign up for our newsletter to get our free ebook Top Ten Tips for Moving Abroad right now. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Expat Empire, so be sure to follow us there. We are currently offering free consulting calls to discuss your moving plans and how Expat Empire can help you to achieve them. Please visit our website to schedule your call today. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode in the coming weeks.